This is episode number 714 with Bournemouth University PhD student Tim Albiget. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast. Today I'm joined by the remarkable Tim Albiget. Tim was working as a restaurant manager eight years ago when he tragically lost his sight. In the face of countless alarming and discriminatory acts against him on account of his blindness, Tim taught himself braille and auditory learning techniques and to raise math equations and diagrams using a special thermoform machine so that he can feel them. And he did all this in order to be able to return to college and study computing and data science. Not only did he succeed in obtaining a bachelor's degree in computing with first-class honors, he is now pursuing a PhD at Bournemouth University full-time in which he's applying machine learning to solve medical problems. His first paper was published in the peer-reviewed journal Sensors earlier this year. Today's inspiring episode is accessible to technical and non-technical listeners alike. In the episode, Tim details why a career in data science can be ideal for a blind person, how he's using machine learning to automate the diagnosis of chronic respiratory diseases. He talks about the techniques that he employs to live a full and independent life with a particular focus on the AI tools that assist him both at work and at leisure. And a keen athlete, Tim fills us in on how he's adapted his approach to fitness in order to run the London Marathon and enjoy a fascinating team sport called goalball. All right, let's jump right into our conversation. Tim, welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. It's awesome to have you on. Yeah, for... thank you for inviting me. Yeah, my pleasure. Where are you calling in from today? From Bournemouth in England. Ah, okay. yeah. You know, I've never been to Bournemouth, but I'm well aware of the Cherries, the football oh, yes. club there. Yeah, yeah, the they've football had... club, very popular with the locals. <laughs> yeah, they've been tremendous in recent years, I guess, and. Uh, yeah, it's actually it's quite a shame that I haven't been down to Bournemouth because I lived in the UK for five years, but that's it's right on the water and it's relatively yeah, warm seven, for England, seven right? Seven miles of coast, beach. Mm -hmm. beach. Sounds nice. Yeah, so uh, we got to know each other through you being a student on... Um, so there's this... A lot of people are aware of the Open Data Science Conference. So they run... As far as I'm aware, the biggest conferences in North America in this post-pandemic world for data science. Yeah. So um, there's ODSC West in San Francisco. There's ODSC East in Boston. There's also there's ODSC Europe, Europe. in London. Yeah. Yeah. London. yeah. Have you gone to the London one? No, I haven't. Um, yeah. I've watched some of the episodes online, but I haven't mm -hmm. actually been up there. Yeah, yeah. And they have an Asia one that's in India as well. So they're all over the shop with these uh, in-person conferences. But they also have a digital platform called AI Plus, and I've done a number of trainings in AI Plus and had the trainings recorded in there um, so that people can view them later. So my whole math for machine learning curriculum. So there may be some listeners out there who are aware of how I started posting a couple of years ago linear algebra videos and then calculus videos, and then I started the probability videos. Uh, and then it just kind of abruptly stopped. So on YouTube and Udemy, uh, I have this uh, this this math or machine learning course where it's very, uh, you know, very tightly edited. But then I also have just this live training that I did for AI Plus on math for machine learning, but it actually covers the whole curriculum. So on YouTube and Udemy, I need to get back to this really tightly edited curriculum. Um, but so there's kind of this, if people want to have access to all of the content that isn't yet on YouTube and Udemy, and that I haven't published in over a year, it is all in the AI plus platform. Uh, it's just that it's not 
you know, it was just, it's, I just did it in one shot in a live class. Um, so yeah, maybe a little bit rougher around the edges. Um, but in, in addition to that, I would math definitely recommend it though. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. And, uh, in addition to that math for machine learning course, I also have a deep learning course, which is, I don't know, there's probably 15, 20 hours of deep learning content. It was kind of six, three and a half hour ish lectures that maybe they get down edit, they get edited down a bit because there's breaks and stuff. But, um, yeah, but you, so you did that whole deep learning curriculum as well. Yes. And, I, and I think after you finished that course, you reached out to me on LinkedIn, kind of added me on LinkedIn. And yeah, then we, we were connected for a couple of years and we hadn't chatted until a week ago at the time of recording. You wrote a post on LinkedIn that really moved me. It really, I thought it was a really special thing to read. And, and, and so now we're going to focus on that kind of for this episode. So uh, tell us about what happened eight years ago, Tim. So eight years ago, I had a big bleed in my eyes, which took most of my vision. And um, at the time, I was working in a bar restaurant. Um, and when it actually happened, I was actually at work when I had the bleed. And I was just about to use a till. And I started moving towards a till to try and read what was on the screen. And I ended up banging my head against it because I just couldn't see. Oh, my it goodness. It faded out. So um, that's left me on a journey of uh, learn, learning and redirection and everything to where I am now. Yeah, and uh, and you've managed to do really impressive things since. So things like running the London Marathon. Uh, you know, you ran the London Marathon in four hours and forty five minutes, which is faster yep. than most people, I imagine. Um, and uh yeah i mean so these kinds of things obviously to like run a marathon you're dependent on a running guide yeah um so things are a bit different and how does that and yes yeah, so, i mean let us know kind of how that works so how do you when when you train to run is it like sometimes on a treadmill or do you often have a running guide for training as well no i have the same running guide for training as well um you keep each other fit yeah <laughs> Well, he was used to running marathons. He's done like all the 10 top marathons in the world. And um, so he loved running. And, and yeah, we uh, just trained to do the mileage. We trained to get into sync as well. There's a lot right. of, uh, he needs to be slightly ahead of me, but not too far ahead so that I can understand what the ground is because I can't see the ground. Oh, my goodness. So, um, oh, so you kind of, you can tell... By how so he you, moves in front of you, you know, whether it's going up yeah, or down. Yeah, oh, we yeah. have a little cable between us holding on. Oh, no, yeah, we feel so much of each other running. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it really uh, kept me going at a time when I needed to. And so uh, fitness and IT were two different kinds of career options as you started to. So what were you doing before the blindness started? So I was um, duty manager. Uh, of um, a bar restaurant. Uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah, so that explains the till that you were describing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so then with the blindness uh, coming on, you looked at fitness and IT as two different kinds of potential career paths, things that you were interested in, and how did those discussions go? So what I tried to do, I tried to find other visually impaired blind people in 
those industries. Mm-hmm. Um, I spoke to people in fitness, um, mainly because I, I love being outside running and enjoying the outdoor activities and everything. And, and they were explaining how, yeah, they're all qualified, they're all good, they have the regular customers, but trying to find new customers or get employed in um, gyms, very challenging. And, and their work wasn't always continuous. Uh, but when I spoke to people in IT, um, most of those were self-employed, similar like um, fitness people. However, a lot of their clients didn't know they were blind. And um, they didn't inform them or tell them or anything. They said, we just get the jobs. We know what to do. We know how to do it. And we get it done. Um, and um, they were always so busy that they always had more work than what they needed to, really. Mm-hmm. So I thought that would be a op- good option to go into. Yeah, that does. It sounds like it was the right choice. But in the beginning, it wasn't easy. So you actually you wrote in the LinkedIn post that, uh, you know, battling to keep your job was a struggle that seemed never ending. You faced countless setbacks, laughter, hung up calls and interviews canceled when you turned up. Yes. Uh, one company wanted to see evidence of what you could do without your site. Uh, but you you wrote triumphantly in this post that you left those companies in your wake as you yeah. keep growing and move on. So yeah, I don't know if you have a little more color that you want to add to those kinds of circumstances. I mean, it's just, it's crazy to me that, uh, you know, in these modern times that there'd be that kind of blatant discrimination that this was kind of, it, it, I mean, it sounds like from this post that that was kind of the norm as you were yeah. going to interviews and that kind of thing. Yeah, it really did feel like the norm. Um, I would go to, um, yeah, I went to a different job interviews, someone over the phone um but when i turned up up even if i let them know i was visually impaired i didn't tell them how much mm-hmm. um but they would turn around and say oh the position's been fulfilled or if it's on the phone they would say oh you're blind it's like yeah and i'll need certain adaptions they're like oh don't worry then then hung up um and yeah some would laugh then at other interviews they would be more interested in me being blind rather than actually interviewing me for the role. Mm. So I had all these barriers and challenges. Um, so that's when I really thought about, yeah, why not retrain, move on and go for bigger and better? Because a lot of these jobs were secretaries, these um, roles and just sales on phones and everything. So I thought, why not push and go further? So, yeah, I went back to college and uh, faced another yeah. type of challenge of learning via audio instead of visual. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so you returned to college to study computing. And, yeah, you had to shift from visual to audio learning, which would have been super taxing, I imagine. Oh, yeah. uh, and then you also, you mentioned to me before we started recording that you also learned Braille which comes in super handy for people like data scientists because? Oh, yep, for helping me to debug. Yeah. Um, um, doing it via audio, I didn't find it as accurate, and I was also advised it wasn't as accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I learned Braille, and it, yeah, it really helped me to debug if I had accidentally hit a space in between certain variables. Right. You pick it up a lot easier on the display than uh, on the audio so um that really did help 
And and so you actually you have like a special keyboard uh, with Braille on it for typing or? No, no. Luckily, when I was 18, I used to stay up all night in a dark room, just touch typing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, okay. that's all, all the old IRC chat rooms. Showing uh, me. Um, so then so then the, the device that you showed me, uh, it's not a keyboard. It's a uh, it's for reading Braille. I use it mainly for reading. You can type on it, um, yeah. but it's that's still a skill I need to really develop a bit further. I can sl very slowly type on it, but um, no, right, the right, right. was a lot quicker for me. So how does that, so uh, for, you know, most of our listeners are in an audio only format. Um, and so they wouldn't have seen the device that you just showed up on the screen, but it's kind of, it has, it looks like it kind of, it kind of looks like a keyboard, um yeah. but then it also has like five big blue buttons for each of yeah, your fingers it has eight large big blue buttons uh, oh yeah and that's for typing in braille um then you've got the space bar under the um cursors for your braille display the uh, braille display there cells of eight dots oh i see i see so the eight buttons correspond to the eight dots so you type in braille it's not like it, it doesn't try to emulate a keyboard like a, a traditional keyboard like the one that you've been type typing on for years and years but it you actually print like you you yeah so it's, it's almost like it's like piano chords where you're like so it's not one key at a time you're like oh okay this kind of chord represents the letter a and this chord is the letter b oh cool um and then so for reading so then so then the the kind of the display on it it just um i guess like it it changes like it changes the touch it has like the the eight things go up and yeah. down yeah each, each cell has eight little dots and they go up and down depending on which letter it is mm -hmm. cool or symbol um yeah so basically between these two things between audio and there's actually there's something that uh you know it became obvious to me just as you and i were setting up to do this recording when you're you know switching microphones trying to figure that kind of thing as you hover over the screen i could hear this voice quickly reading to you kind of everything that you were hovering over yes. so yeah this is another way that you uh yeah another kind of accessibility trick yes it is is it um yeah it tells you what part of a screen you are on and everything so it gives you a lot of information where you are what you need to do what you're typing as well when you type it tells you each key um, and then the whole word when you finish typing a word mm -hmm. um in word it does beep if you make a mistake but if it's in an IDE, um, it doesn't tell you if you've made a mistake. So you'll get on the screen like squiggly lines underneath. I don't get that detailed with a screen reader. Right. Yeah, that does. That would definitely make it trickier. You need to be more precise about what you're doing. Yes, definitely. Um, so, but yeah, between these kinds of accessibility techniques, between uh, learning to read by audio uh between uh learning braille you've been able to not only just get by by studying computing but you got a distinction 
And then you started a master's of research and then got transferred into a PhD. You just yeah. published your first research paper this year. You're currently writing yeah. your second paper. So clearly it is, you know, I'm no doubt uh, taxing to, you know, switch these modalities and and go from the way that you were learning eight years ago to the way that you're learning now. But yeah, achieving at the highest level. I mean, doing a PhD, this is like, you know, only 1% of people or something are able to achieve that in any circumstances. Um, so yeah, you're obviously, you're obviously flourishing and it goes beyond just the the academic stuff you've also taken on, you know, your, your love of fitness hasn't gone away at all. So, uh, yeah. you're playing a sport called goalball. Yeah. I haven't played it for a few years now, uh, but, but, uh, yeah, no, it's a really great sport. Um, very physically demanding thing. Um, but you're actually, everyone's blindfolded on a, on the pitch and it's, um, nine by 18 meter pitch. The goal behind you is nine meters long, and there's three people on each team. Um, uh, the court's tactile, and the ball has a little bell in it, so you can hear it. Mm. It's, so uh, there's three of you defending the goal and trying to stop anyone trying to score, but you've only got 10 seconds to shoot back once you've oh. got the ball. So you're up and down doing like it feels like doing burpees <laughs> throughout um, each half, yeah. like 24 minutes long. So, yeah, you're shooting back and forth so much. Arch and, uh, oh, yeah, and you're diving left, right, and center to capture the ball. Oh, wow. Um, um, and it really teaches you orienteering and learn to pay attention to everything going on, where the ball is, where your teammates are, where the opposition are positioning themselves as well mm -hmm. and uh yeah brilliant game oh yeah so how do you so you can tell where the ball is because it makes noise but how do you 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 tell where your opponents and your teammates are based on you're just listening and you can kind of tell who you roughly do, know the court layout as well but yeah you need to pay attention to where they are oh like my goodness covering the goal and not hitting them you say i didn't see you there mate hit your team in the back of the head with the ball uh wow um so yeah so incredible um uh yeah so with all of these kinds of adaptations we, that we've already talked about uh it's clear that uh, blind people are able to flourish uh, in these kinds of IT roles, computer programming roles, data science roles. Um, it's one of the big things you've got to remember. You don't see the code running. It's all a mental model. Or, and you don't need your eyes to have a mental model. Right, right, right. That's a really good analogy. Um, Tim, so what's your what's your research about? What's your PhD research about? The, and like the paper that you published recently, what are you focused on? So my focus is on AI for healthcare, uh, with a focus on respiratory conditions, uh, mainly COPD. That's a chronic obstruction pulmonary disease. So my first paper is based on um, audio auscultations of pulmonary system, um, and whether we can detect or diagnose COPD out of healthy and another respiratory condition, which was in this case pneumonia. 
Yeah. Um, and yes, I was getting good scores on that. Yeah. Um, my research at the moment, or the paper I'm writing about at the moment, is um, detecting COPD severities, because there's four different state levels of COPD severity depending on on um, obstruction. So um, yeah, and there's is a bit of lack of data out there in the public domain. Um, but in my research, I've managed to use two different data sets. That's um, the one I was previously used in my first paper. I brought into the second one to make sure I've got enough data. And um, I've learned some key features of breathing in, in my first data set I used, bringing it into the COPD severity data set to get better features for better classification of severities. Gotcha. So, uh, so you have, so these COPD patients, the data sets consist of recordings of them breathing, I guess. Yes. Yeah. And it's of, um, stethoscopes, stethoscopes. and back. And then, so they have the, um, so then they have, so there's through these recordings, you can then apply some machine learning uh, algorithms to be able to detect. So you have your label is kind of severity of COPD. Yes. So you have this kind of this quantitative variable that you can regress on and uh, and use, yeah, some use some machine learning techniques to automatically extract features, I guess, from these audio waveforms. Um, um, so I try and create the features. Um, oh, yeah. So I transform the features from what they are into a subspace of a wide range of lung sounds. Mm -hmm. um, that helps maximize some of the dominant features I need to look for mm -hmm. or reduce some of the other features and that I can just use standard machine learning techniques to then classify. Nice. Yeah. Like a uh, random forest or that kind of thing. Yeah, um, SVMs. Support vector um, machines, yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so it, you get out some other feature or under understanding from the uh, process. Very cool. Uh, sounds like a brilliant project. Like you could make a big impact with that. Um, is it a, is it by design or by coincidence that it's audio data, which you happen to be obviously, you know, you've, you've honed your audio abilities through things like goalball and obviously learning auditorially. Yeah. So it's just a bit of a coincidence. Uh, um, my next part will be using vision as well. Mm. Um, so uh, yeah, I'll be doing uh, computer vision next, bring in and uh, sensor fusion techniques to help try and get better results. So yeah, so speaking of uh, machine learning and computer vision and that kind of thing, um, what kinds of ways does machine learning assist you today and how could it in the future? So for example, has the chat GPT revolution of the past year, has that been useful to you? Uh, or, you know, are there computer vision things or yeah, you know, yeah. What are the ways that machine learning is helping you out today yeah. and, and how could it maybe in the future even more? So chat GPT hasn't really helped me as much. Um, but what has really helped me is um, object recognition and OCR technologies. Right. So I use that a lot. Um, object recognition to help me find things in shops. Um, OCR for scanning 
books, books and everything. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a real big help. Yeah, so with object recognition, I guess you have like a, an app on your phone that allows you and maybe just like headphones plugged in. And then yeah. so you can be scanning shelves and it's just kind of telling you, you know, you're that's an orange, not a grapefruit kind of thing. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and then the OCR optical character recognition that allows you to, I guess, in probably any circumstance, maybe similar kind of thing, just on your phone, being able to, you know, uh, take public transport or whatever. You can be reading signs and yes. yeah, reading books, any of that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I use it a lot for reading books. I've got quite a few different types of scanners, book scanners, document scanners. There's um, even just my phone. Scan text so easy nowadays. Used to get it to read it out to me aloud. It's uh, yeah, brilliant nowadays. Yeah, I mean that's that's probably even relative to eight years ago. I can't remember exactly where my iPhone kind of capabilities were eight years ago, but I suspect that as these devices in our pockets become exponentially more powerful. Yes, than... definitely. Um, you've seen big changes, especially in like five in the last five years, where previously it could only read printed text, OCR, and recognition nowadays, brilliant. It's picking up a lot more. So it doesn't have to be just printed text and scanning. It can be handwritten notes. Right. So down with AI nowadays. And what about even stuff like we, we touched on this a little bit before we started recording. Um, I found it interesting that you found my deep learning courses in AI plus to be so valuable because I was like, it's interesting because I actually in those trainings, I leverage illustrations a lot because the, the trainings are based on my book, Deep Learning Illustrated, which, yeah, I would have you know expected that maybe that my kind of way of teaching or the way that I made my book was actually maybe going in the wrong direction for you. But it seems like somehow the, I don't know, the descriptions of uh, the illustrations uh, of the visuals, actually, if those descriptions are are, are good enough, then that yes. actually makes it easier for you. Um, yes, yeah. it definitely does. There's a lot of people tend to forget like the um, alt tags and everything. Or if they do use alt tags to give descriptions of images, it's mm -hmm. a description of what it is. Is and when it's a good description of what it contains in that image, that's very empowering. Thing. So it's some people could put a, an alt tag, a description of an image like this is a photo of my brother, when they could say it's a brown haired person, a brown haired, rugged, handsome looking brother, or something like that. Right, right, right. Details and descriptions. Right. Um, but then again, there are some semantics we naturally learn in language. Um, take like banana. When you say banana, what do you think about its color, for instance? Yeah, instance, yellow. yellow. Yeah. Um, so when you go into shops and take a photo, you don't always get that description. It could be green where it's ripe, mm. fresh, or spotted some of that information some people miss in image description labels right so yeah that actually that brings me on to my next question which is how can people so like this kind of um you know having these alt tags be descriptive 
um, in a way where, you know, it's not just uh, a description of the color of things, but a description of what that means. Like, you know, that like, you know, the right that it's ripe is more important than the hue yeah. of ye- yellow, you know. Um, and so, you know, that's a good example of the kinds of things that people could be doing to be helping blind people out. What other kinds of tips do you have for our listeners who, um, yeah, could could work with a blind person? Uh, you know, maybe before hearing this episode, they thought, oh, you know, that wouldn't work. But now that they've heard this episode, they think, oh, actually, okay, so, you know, someone like Tim could work with us, and you know, be just as effective in some ways, maybe more effective because of attention to detail and um, you know these extra these additional ways of learning and. Actually, one thing that was interesting that you described to me from your studies um, is that because sometimes in lectures, the lecturer isn't changing the way that they describe something, which can make it in real time more difficult for you to understand, then you go off on your own and you learn a lot more about this phenomenon, this concept uh, from lots of different resources. So you could understand that concept a lot better than than other students in the class who just heard the one description one time. Yes, Yes, I would... Not just it wasn't just books. I've signed up to other talks. Um, the British Computer and Society they put on a lot of talks, so I've attended to loads of those. And it's just a wide range, and it's interacting with other people as well at times. And um, just talking through everything, and, um, you develop such a wide breadth of knowledge, and you get to these points where. You have this real clarity of, oh, yes, I've got that. I've understood that now. Oh, and um, the nice feelings to reach when someone in the class might have just picked it up in one of the lectures, but I've had to go a lot further, uh, even just learning SQL. I think I found every single error message you could possibly think of mm-hmm. uh, just to mm-hmm. be able to understand what or how I needed to use the language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess, yeah, so kind of, so I think it's crystal clear that, uh, people should not, obviously, I mean, it it seems insane that I have to say this out loud, but you shouldn't discriminate against blind people. There are, you know, there's lots of jobs out there where blind people can perform just as well or better than, uh, you know, people with full sight. So, yeah. So what kinds of ways can, can myself, can our listeners support blind people, um yeah not just at work but in general so i'd probably recommend if you see someone with sight loss they still got a vision of mind and um it, it yes it's a disability but it, it's nothing which stops them it's just we do things in a slightly different way nice yeah <laughs> crystal clear uh so basically i mean the kind of uh yeah i guess the, the kind of the underlying point is we don't actually need to do that much differently at all <laughs> just yeah so um and uh yeah it's interesting for me just as kind of like a final point you mentioned that ChatGPT hadn't made uh that much of a difference yet um but i a couple of weeks ago i had a podcast episode episode number 708 on the ChatGPT code interpreter, which allows you to paste in code or have it, you know, uh, work on code right there in the browser. And it seems to me like 
tools like that, maybe, you know, as they get even better, or maybe are adapted slightly to be more accessible, um, they, I, I imagine they'll be brilliant for you because they, they det- it detects bugs automatically and fixes them. And you do, so you don't yeah. need, you know, that, that missing space or whatever that you have to detect with your Braille, you know, it's just something that ChatGPT can pick up and fix automatically. Like you could, yeah. yeah. Um, the only problem with, I could see with that is it's a bit like autocomplete. Mm. Autocomplete completes everything, but it, my screen reader doesn't always announce it. So it's making right. changes to my code that I don't know about. Oh, right. But then again, some IDEs are getting better. You can go down and select what options you want and everything now. So that's that's good. But um, some of the autocompletes, yeah, I turn it off. I like to know what I'm typing and what I'm Yes, doing. of course. Yeah, that makes perfect sense because I guess... Yeah, something like that. Like I'm thinking, oh yeah, this uh, this code interpreter or ChatGPT is going to be perfect because it'll take whatever you wrote and then clean it up for you. But that actually could be a huge pain because then you need to kind of painstakingly have the entire thing like read through character by character or or braille character by braille character, where you just and you're having to kind of remember the delta between what you'd put in. And so then, yeah, it can actually end up being just it way more work than kind of getting it right yourself the first time around um fascinating all right thanks very much tim this has been a really interesting episode really special yeah, episode for having me. hey so before i let my guests go tim i always ask for a book recommendation do you have one for us yeah um it's an audio book um machine learning mathematics by samuel hack like very detailed loads of equations in there all in audible and really accessible Nice. And yeah, that actually, that brings up something we talked about before pressing the record button, which is how do you handle mathematical equations, Tim? Ooh, that can be a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, OCR can be quite good nowadays, but there are some inaccuracies in it. Um, and when you're scanning like a research paper with a mathematical equation, if it does get out the equation perfectly, it might not get out the descriptions. And so you're there, you know what values you've got, like Tor, Alpha, Beta, but you don't have any descriptions for what they mean in that context. Next, um, so there's a bit of more processing with some of those. Um, sometimes turn it into tactile format, um, ah. tactile text format. I use um, Swell paper uh, and a thermal printer. So oh. print it in black, water-based ink on this special paper, and then put it through this thermal printer and it raises any black ink up. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. I was not aware of that. So you actually then you feel the whole equation. So it's not like Braille where it's the eight bumps per character. No, it's, no, it's just the shape of the whole equation. Text. And like, okay, I'm in the yeah. numerator. But I have to make and... it a bit bigger so I can <laughs> feel the actual outlines and everything. Um, wow. I also use it for putting diagrams into tactile as well. Very cool. Um, all right. So if people uh, want to connect with you or follow you after this episode, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, via LinkedIn. I'm quite active on there. Nice. All right. Well, thanks so much for taking the time with us today, Tim. Yeah, this has been you. an awesome episode. And uh, yeah, looking forward to hearing how the PhD journey comes along and how your career develops 
after that, awesome to be doing this AI and machine learning in healthcare research uh, and make a big impact with that. Very cool, Tim. Yeah, thank you. What an inspiring story. In today's episode, Tim covered how he generally uses auditory learning, but Braille is essential for debugging code, while raised print is helpful for understanding math and diagrams. He talked about how he's applying machine learning to automatically detect the severity of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, COPD, from stethoscope recordings, and he filled us in on how tools, how AI tools, like object recognition algorithms and optical character recognition, enable blind people to live a full and independent life. All right, that's it for today's episode. Support the show by sharing, reviewing, or subscribing. But most importantly, just keep listening. Until next time, keep on rocking it out there, my friend. I'm looking forward to enjoying another round of the Super Data Science Podcast with you very soon. Mm-hmm.